Hey, security peeps, you're back with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, placing awesome cybersecurity talent into opportunities and helping leaders hire talent. And I'm here with two fabulous people today, my co-host, Chris Folon. Say hi to everyone, Chris. Hey, everyone. And we have Nick Vigier here today. Say hi to everybody, Nick. Hi, everybody. So Nick's background is so, so interesting to me. We were, I was checking him out and I saw that he started his career at the New York Stock Exchange and being from New York and knowing what (laughs) that space is like and recruiting back in the day in New York City in the banking industry and technology, it really, really excited me. And then I saw all that he did moving from that role, getting into security and then growing up in the space. So, Nick, tell your story. Tell us how you got into how did you break into security? Oh, man, Um, (laughs) it it was a a journey. Um, So when I graduated from college, um, I I knew I didn't like computer programming. So I went into computer networking um, and I was fortunate to get placed a job uh, with a company that does the tech for the New York Stock Exchange and the American Stock Exchange. Um, I started there in June 2011 and 2001, and uh, a few months later, uh, 9-11 happened, uh, and the American Stock Exchange was a half block from ground zero. Um, and so to the point that the CTO had gotten up from his desk, the first plane hit, he came back to his desk, and the glass from his window had split his seat in two. So had he not gotten up from his desk, he would have been split in two. Um, and so I was going through the security cordon to get the gypsum sucked out of the networking equipment um, because they hadn't turned off the air conditioning in time to avoid that happening. So that was kind of my my introduction to emergency planning uh, and response yeah. was 9-11. I mean, we were in the control room when it happened. We were in Brooklyn across the, across the street with a, across the river with the front row seat to you know the disaster. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, someone shouted out, today never happened, delete the data. Um, and I mean, it was insane, like completely, completely insane. Um, so it was a, a hell of an experience doing that, um, you know, but it got to when you're a computer network engineer, you have to understand all the things that run on the network, because the first thing people do is blame the network. <laughs> um, and so you have to basically be able to run a sniffer and detect, you know, understand how the applications work and then help the software engineers understand that their programs suck. Um, and so you really had to operate from like layer one to layer seven um, very effectively. Um, I was lucky that I was there was no room to sit next to the comm engineers and I was sitting next to the pen testing team. And so I was like, my job's kind of boring. Uh, I just do templatized like change orders and whatever. It's not really like engineering. Uh, let me learn what you guys do. So I'd volunteer my time. I'd finish my, my work in a quarter of the day and then I would go volunteer three quarters of the day with the security team and no one knew. Um, and eventually after three years of doing comm engineering and a you know, year and a half of doing that volunteering work, I got brought into the pen testing team. So that was kind of my first, uh, experience going into, uh, cybersecurity. I love that. It's, I mean, not only the September 11th piece, obviously, I mean, you don't, nobody wants to be there, but being there is uh, so critical to some of our careers. And you were graduating right around the time I did. I watched it from Brooklyn too. I wasn't, I hadn't started my first job yet, but I was watching it on TV. Um, And I used to work prior to starting my first job. I used to work like 15 minutes away from ground zero too. So I can imagine, you know, when I I was like sitting at home staring 
thinking about all of my friends who were likely in that area. Thank God, none of nobody I knew personally um, perished, but just thinking about walking through there and walking through World Trade Center and the different towers and what have you. Um, but you being in it and then sitting there and saying, okay, now this opportunity, now I, hey, my, my job is boring or I'm, I've, I've maxed out on what I'm doing. Now I'm going to jump in and say, hey, this, this looks interesting. This pen testing stuff, like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a unique opportunity. I mean, the 9 11 stuff was interesting because it was, we need to, in three days, rebuild an entire stock exchange. We moved the American Stock Exchange over to the New York Stock Exchange trading floor. So we rebuilt the entire exchange wow. in, in, in like two or three days. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, I, listen, I came to realize that pen testing is an art and I'm not an artist. Um, and <laughs> like that took about a year and then I got brought into another company by the guy who brought me into the pen testing team who was really broad in his thinking about cybersecurity. Like we were doing physical security and risk management and the, you know, all the AppSec and SDLC stuff and then engineering and operations to the point that like three weeks into my job, I went and learned how to do bug sweeping. So it was really you know, kind of interesting getting that exposure to what it means to do like the physical security mindset, as well as the technology security mindset, uh, which I don't think a lot of people get the chance to do, but I think is a really interesting, you know, twist on, uh, on physical security. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's one of the things that we, we tell individuals a lot that if you're interested in something, volunteer your time um, with that team, A, they might give you the opportunity to join their team. And if not, you'll learn a lot from them. Um, and I think the next thing that you brought up that everyone should know is not every role in cybersecurity is a good fit for you. So no. um, asking the team what they do, seeing what they do, trying what they do, um, it, it's, a, it's a phase of experimentation that you have to figure out what exactly you like doing versus what you don't like doing. Um, and it's okay to experiment in the beginning. It, it's okay to experiment always, right? Like there's security careers are not a ladder. They're a jungle gym. Um, <laughs> there's a personality type for every, like there's a role for everybody in cybersecurity, which is part of what I love about it, right? Whether you're highly analytical and gifted in, in writing and writing policies and things like that, or you're highly analytical and gifted on the technical side and you go into reverse engineering or you're really procedural and you go into incident response, like all of these types of personality types or you're creative and you go into red teaming and pen testing. Like there's, there's all these different roles within cybersecurity. And I think that the pitfall that we run into as an industry is that we think that cybersecurity is just one thing, right? Or, oh, it's just pen testing or it's just sock or it's just incident response. And it's like, no, no, it's how you stitch all of these things together into a holistic perspective and a program that works across the entire business. So you don't have to run everything, but you should at least understand that there's a lot of different components and that there's something for you in there. You just have to find it. So Nick, how did you, this is such a good segue. You realized that pen testing wasn't for you. How did you find out what the next thing, what the, you know, by, by how did you, figure out what you really liked, what you really were passionate about? How did you get to that point? I mean, it took a while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you find out different things, so tell us. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, you know, for me, it's about learning, right? And every every job change and people look at my resume, like, you change jobs a lot. I'm like, well, no, there's there were reasons why and there were goals to be achieved, right? So 
for me, like I'm an explorer. I like to understand. I like to, you know, I want to understand all the different components. And while I might not be an expert in all of them, I at least understand what each thing does and, and how to stitch them together. And so for me, like uh, LiquidNet was a real, where I went after the New York Stock Exchange was an interesting experience because it was so broad, right? Um, and I was there for a really long time. And it was a smallish company. It was a global. So I got to explore different cultures, what it was like building out physical security in Japan. Uh, is when someone in Japan tells you some things very difficult, it basically means it's never going to happen. Um, so getting them to, you know, solve a problem with me was an interesting cultural challenge. So you get to learn a lot of these different things. And so for me, I was learning. Um, but after seven and a half years there, I wasn't really learning anything new. Like budgeting was like, how much money did we make last quarter? How much money did we spend last quarter? Was this bigger than this? Cool. Bonuses for everyone. <laughs> and it was not really mature, right? So it was like, if I want to keep growing, I need to go find... I need to go learn something new. And so I went to Sony after that, uh, after the PlayStation breach, but I left before the pictures breach. So very important. <laughs> um, and none of my organizations got breached. Um, but I was running a security program for a credit card company. So I got to learn PCI for two biotech companies. So I got to learn a lot about like HIPAA and whatnot uh, for a museum. Uh, Cause Sony had to operate a museum because of the, the real estate they had in New York city was a part of their, their lease. Um, the company that prints all the discs and the company that licenses all the music for like commercials and movies and stuff like that, as well as a Western hemisphere data center. So it's very broad. Sony's a huge company and I had to learn budgeting like immediately, like within a week, my budget was due and I had no idea what OPEX and CAPEX was because I didn't have to learn it before. So you get to learn that very, very quickly, what it was like working at a massive company very, very quickly. And then also international privacy, um, which, wasn't something I was going to get exposed to at LiquidNet. So it was like trying to, you know, every every job was about learning something and time boxing that learning because I could have gotten sucked into working at Sony for the next 30 years. But I time box it as a 12 to 24 month experiment. And I was there for 18 months um, because I knew that I didn't want to be there long term, but there were things I wanted to learn while I was there. And it's interesting that you you use a time box approach. Um, I think a lot of individuals or let, let's just say some hiring managers uh, see that time box approach and think instability versus that experimentation, that continuous learning um, approach. And I'm, I'm very much of the same mindset that I always love learning. I mean, I'm reading right now between two machines, like three or four different articles um, going from one to the next to the next. Yeah. Um, one's about cloud, one's about uh, threat hunting, and I'm always learning. So, yeah, I love that approach. And and you have to. I mean, even when, you know, I build my own teams, like, and I have security operations as one of my, you know, verticals. If I get a tier one analyst that comes in, I, I say to them very explicitly, this job is a 12 to 18 month job as a tier one analyst. You're going to probably hate your job. And that's okay, because this is your you're learning. But your job, along with you know, performing your tasks, is to explore all of the different areas of cybersecurity, figure out which one you want to learn next. And in 12 to 18 months, you will have number one automated a whole bunch of your job away so that the next person that's sitting in the seat doesn't have to do the same crap you did. And then number two, you'll be either in a different role within the security organization or you'll be fired. And that's it. Like, because 
I find that you have a lot of people that go to be a tier one analyst and they just, they sit in the role for five years and just languish. And I'll be honest, that's just not somebody I want on my team. Um, I want curiosity. I want people understanding. I want people asking questions and, and being excellent at what they do and discovering things. And so, you know, if you don't time box that experiment for them, then you end up in a listless journey that doesn't really yield anything productive. I think that's so powerful. And I, and I don't, I hope, I wish that more leaders would do what you, what you do um, and specifically in certain roles, because to your point, you know, having a time box approach to, okay, A, from a retention standpoint, like, you know, that the person's going to come in, you know, that this is going to be, you know, having that pipeline of new talent to come in to take on this new role. And you know that you could recruit from within and have that person kind of move around within either, like you said, either they do well and they move within your company. So that's a retention strategy or they, you know, either don't do well or they don't like it at all or what have you and they leave but it continuously brings in fresh new ideas, new people, yep. early talent, all that stuff. Like this is the way you build talent from the ground up. This is how you do it. Um, okay, so there's a couple comments and we wanted, we always shout out people who are here all the time. So um, uh, Julius says, TGI Friday, Gina said hi. Jordan, a couple people that are in here, but there's a good uh, question or a comment, and I'm trying to think, I'm trying to figure out who it's from, but it says, hello, Nick, I help people find jobs, how to find creative ways to educate employers on exactly what you said. How would you go about talking with a colleague in leadership on hiring in this way, instead of focusing on one technology that in a few months can dramatically change? <sighs> That's Gina. So part of part of why I, I joined joined Coalfire was to try to you know shake some of this thinking loose, right? Okay. Uh, take the take the industry and shake it by its shoulders a little bit. Um, I think it's about um, I think a lot of it is just asking the question why, right? So the yeah, I'm a big fan of like the the five whys you know methodology and kind of getting to root like what are you actually trying to solve here? What is the skill you're actually looking for? Like I understand your immediate need is X, right? And that's fine, but let me understand why, so that I can find the person that's not just going to solve your problem now, but is going to help you on your trajectory later. Um, and I mean, I do that with technology. I do that from a legal perspective. I do that, you know, from a business perspective. Like all, it's it's critical to understand the why, um, and not just take an order. So part of like my job at Coalfire is like we do a lot of different things. And the analogy I use is, is a restaurant analogy. Yeah, I can walk in and order a dish and eat and get full and leave, right? That's essentially this. Like, I'm going to ask you to find me a headcount that can do this particular thing. And that's fine, right? I'll get you your dish and you'll be full. The other alternative is I can ask you what your allergies and preferences are, and I can create a tasting menu. And that's going to be an experience, and that's going to be valuable. So instead of, like, doing a SOC 2 report and lobbing it over the wall, instead of understanding why do you want a SOC 2 report, and being able to then align to the business and align to the purpose and the mission is much more valuable. Um, so I think it's really about asking questions and not just doing, you know, just taking the order. And when it comes to um, asking asking those questions, what are, what's your recommendations for those looking to break in um, to understand the environment well enough to ask those questions 
know when is the right time to ask those questions. I mean, it's always the right time to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be afraid to ask questions, right? I mean, I joke, there are no stupid questions, just stupid people, but no, that's not. <laughs> there, there, there are no stupid questions. Um, and there's all, it's always okay to ask questions. And I mean, and you know, for me personally, I love it when people ask questions because it helps me challenge my thinking. Um, and so, you know, why do you do it this way? Well, I mean, that's the way we've always done it. We should probably change that. Um, you know, and so asking questions, I think is really important. You can't be afraid to ask questions, even if it's not work that you're currently doing. Right. So like if you're a software developer and you have a pen testing team that's coming after your application, asking them why they're approaching it that way might help you write better code. Right. Like it, it, that it's about asking questions and being inquisitive. Um, no one has all of the knowledge. Um, and so for me, like the way I got into cybersecurity was by being like, Hey, that what you're doing is interesting and very different. Like, why do you do it that way? How do you do it? Let me read some books. Let me let me tinker a little bit and try it. Um, you also can't be afraid of failure, right? Um, failure is good. It's how we learn. It's how we acquire scar tissue, um, and you know, and how you enhance your decision making in the future. So, I mean, that's my general advice. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Find people that are willing to answer questions. Um, that might be a real roadblock for some some people. Um, but I think on the whole, people want to answer questions and, and, and have people understand what they do. And I think I would add that, um, to your, to all of those, to all of those points, when you're in a situation and a person either doesn't want you to ask questions or feels threatened or, you know, something's weird that's going on, then that might not be the right fit. Like the, the, if you're in an organization and all of this is how, you know, you're doing all the things, you're being inquisitive, you're asking questions, not to, not to, to be inquisitive, to be a tinkerer. And if that's not being well received and you keep coming up against a wall or a brick wall, you know, and you're trying to go around that, then maybe it's time to look for something else. Because I feel like sometimes that's what happens with people. They feel like, oh, I'm coming up a, a, against a brick wall. I, I think the biggest thing is that don't just look within your own company for those people to answer questions, right? We have, there are so many communities out there. I mean, I'll be honest, if someone reached out to me on, on LinkedIn and was like, hey, I really want to understand how this thing works. Like, I see that you kind of went through it. I, I would jump on the call. You know what I mean? Like that there are a lot of people out there that want to answer questions and help people. And, you know, to the point of this entire podcast, right? Like it's about helping, it's about growing, it's about being there to answer questions. So even if you don't find it within your own organization, know that it's out there. We're more, more than happy to take you in and take in your questions and understand. And maybe it's a good signal to not be in that organization. Right. And, and that's okay too. And you can't be afraid of that. Yeah. And I think this is Gina's follow-up, which you already answered, but she said, conversely, if an employer does not want to answer your questions now, a great follow-up question is how will you get your questions answered if you're on if you're an employee? But you already just answered that. <laughs> um, and Danielle says being curious is essential. Totally agreed. With regards to um, individuals asking questions, do you think that it's worth it that they present their methodology and what they've attempted to do and failed um, when asking the questions versus just asking the question? Um, it depends on what the question is. <laughs> um, how do I do X? That type of thing might, might be relevant, right? Versus more of an exploratory, what does it mean to do X, right? 
Um, you know, so I, th I think it entirely depends on the type of question being asked. Um, if you're asking for a tutorial on how to get something done, I think totally, you know, coming to it of like, this is how I've tried to solve it before um, and failed is, a, you know, a great icebreaker. Right. So Nick, getting back to your career, the CIO role, the CISO role, like, so take us through, you You were a CISO for an, and a security leader for a number of years then jumped into the CIO space. Um, and when you were in that space, were you hiring security leaders? So um, I'll fill in the gaps because I think it's relevant to the to answering your question. So I was at Sony for a year and a half, I then went to Palantir where I was on the business development side, essentially doing consulting. Uh, running the cybersecurity subject matter experts and doing like we we're doing forensics and response pen some pen testing and, and things of that nature as well as helping Palantir understand what a cybersecurity product would be. Um, I ended up leaving there after about a year and going to DigitalOcean where I was a CISO and built a security team from scratch and we kind of touched a little bit on uh, you know kind of my mentality around like you know some of the hiring and whatnot. What was interesting was that there's this very odd tension between cybersecurity and technology. Um, and they just don't get along. And I really wanted to understand why. Uh, and so I was doing what I was calling guerrilla interviewing as an interviewing for positions I had no intention of taking, but wanted to understand the hiring manager and the organization's mindset around why they were looking to hire their first security person. Um, and it was uh, disappointing. Uh, a lot of it was like, I want you to yell at my users. I want you to make us secure. Like those are not, those are not the conversations to be having. And I got reached out to by a recruiter that was like, we're hiring for a CIO for Gemini, which is a cryptocurrency exchange. I'm like, why I'm a security guy? And they're like, well, they have other people that are former CISOs, they're very security minded and they need someone to run technology and to you know, mature. And I was like, what a perfect opportunity to explore why technology and security don't get along. <laughs> very dynamic, and this is in April, 2017, Bitcoin is at a thousand, hadn't yet gone up to 20K uh, and crashed back down. Um, and it was a 35 person company and they already had a CISO. And it was an amazing opportunity to understand what it was like being the consumer of security. So I was not doing security hiring. However, I was able to kind of influence the security, you know, the security direction as well, but also be a consumer of their decision-making process. And I think what's really important, and I think we get, especially for people that are doing vulnerability management and things of that nature, like, why won't they just do the thing I'm asking them to do? That's what they need to do. It's what the policy says, you know, whatever. And like, what, now we have a vulnerability and we're not fixing it. Being a technology leader at an organization, especially an organization that's a technology product organization, is like getting ready to get run over by a freight train every single minute of the day. Uh, that organization's moving at full speed. You're literally laying the track as fast as you can and doing everything you can to try to make sure the business can move forward. You have the security person behind the train. Security is a little bit more analytical unless you're constantly doing incident response. And so when I'm shouting from the back of the train to the person that's laying track as fast as they can saying, hey, I really need you to patch that SQL server. Their response is, I'll get to you when I can. I'll get to you when I have a minute so that the business doesn't fall over because then we're not making any money. So if we're not making any money, we get breached. Then I don't really care because we're not really losing anything. <laughs> um, so explain to the security organization. I mean, as a CIO, I was making decisions in <clears throat> reasons. One, is it, do I need to deliver this for the business? Two, do I need to deliver this for the people that are delivering for the business? So the software engineers and things of that nature. Number three, I need to do things for my own team to be able to do things for one and two. And then like three B was like cybersecurity, right? Like I'm doing it because the cybersecurity needs, needs to do it. And that's for someone who loves cybersecurity. So you can imagine a CIO or CTO that just couldn't give a damn. The 
the issue is just how you think about getting the work done. And then how do you take those cybersecurity needs and reposition them to be in alignment with how they're delivering for the business? And then you'll get it done, right? I need to align to number one. Um, you know, so it's, those things are key. And I think we, we miss out on that. We get a lot, uh, we get hurt uh, personally because our stuff's not getting done and we go complain to everybody. And now we're the whiner in the organization along with the person saying no. It's like, those are not good looks. Um, don't do that. Find ways to align yourself to the way that, to what people want to get done. Make their software development faster. Make, you know, align with how they're deploying code and software. Like, you know, all those fun things. Like th that will get you the attention you want. Uh, don't you feel that that requires a lot of soft skills, people skills that um, many that might be in security don't have as much of? Well, maybe start with the don't take it personally, right? You know, take a step back. You don't have to be a per people person to take a step back and to not take it personally. Um, that's just a maturity thing. Um, <laughs> but reevaluate how you're trying to get your work done, right? Like, I think we should all be able to do that. Um, I mean, it comes with experience and, and growth and maybe ask the question of, you know, we talk about asking questions. That's a great asking a question. Hey, I can't get this done. Like they won't listen to me. What, how can I do this differently? How can I approach this differently? Um, those are awesome questions, right? We just have to be willing to ask them. Nick, I want to go back to the gorilla interviewing part. You hate that as a recruiter. No, I, I, I absolutely <laughs> love that. I tell people do that all the time. Oh, no, yeah. I tell people do that all the time. Explain to people what that is and what you meant, because I don't know if people actually caught that. So I it really, it's about, it, it's not about thinking like, hey, I really want this job. It's about trying to, like, for me, thematically, it was understanding how people think about cybersecurity. Um, you know, and so it's, uh, for me, it was trying to get a sample set. Um, some people may use it for shadow boxing, right? Like I just want to practice, uh, which is also good. Uh, I say always be interviewing, always be practicing, always know what people are looking for, always know where you're falling short. I think maybe that's my feedback to recruiters is we need to do a better job of providing feedback as to why someone wasn't a fit um, so that they can get better. It's a development opportunity. Um, so for me, it was an industry, industry exploration. Um, but it can also be a personal growth exploration. Yeah, I think that um, I think that with as a seasoned recruiter, the whole purpose is getting people. You know, I encourage people to do that all the time because I want you to have more and more conversations about opportunities that you may not necessarily like. On paper, it might not look great, and for whatever reason, you know, I'm always into having the conversation. So if it looks interesting, have the conversation. If they want to talk to you, have the conversation yep. um, and not always put yourself into a box. But I think that sometimes with analytical and technical people, they're like, why do this when I don't want this job? Like, why go after this? Why do it? So in their minds, it might feel like to them as a waste of time. Um, and that's who, you know, the folks that are here, <laughs> the, the security people that are here, you know, this is the reason why, you know, you want to get practice, you want to know what's going on in the marketplace, all the things that Nick talked about, and look at how you happened upon this opportunity that you probably would not have gone looking for, um, because this is what you were doing. So you fall into this, you know, cool new thing, get this new, uh, th these new experiences. Um, so that's the thing. And then from a Recruited feedback perspective, you know, I say this all the time, we give as much feedback as we get, 
sometimes, you know, people, they for whatever reason, multiple different reasons, you know, and you know, there's legal reasons in particular, can't give like a ton of very specific feedback. Um, and I tell people all the time, you know, they've heard me, people, the people who watch this religiously have heard me preach this, like to your point, don't take it personally. There's tons of reasons why people don't get opportunities most of the time, a very, very, very large part of the time, it has nothing to do with you as a candidate. It's all kinds of things going on behind the scenes that, you know, you just aren't aware of. So you just move on. You go and do the next thing. Um, yes, there are times when it's an interviewing strategy thing or, you know, you're coming off as one thing or, or the other. Um, but more often than not, it's just 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 not the right fit or not the right time or somebody have somebody else aligned for the role. I mean, all kinds of different things. So, um, okay. So, so a couple of comments. Example of why hiring a cybersecurity manager must pass audits to do business in New York. This needs security person. <laughs> the issue of guarding IP and, and or data, not in mind due to cash flow and budget constraints. So I'm not fully understanding this comment. Do you? I, I think it's I think it's around uh, the hiring because you have to. Um, yeah. Okay, gotcha. And and I think I think this is about under like part of inter part of interviewing is not just trying to sell yourself, but the organization should be selling themselves to you, right? And depending on your own career goals and ambitions, um, you know, be aware that there's some organizations that just won't fit, and so. An organization that's hiring a security leader because they have to, and that is literally the only reason they're doing it, and they're burying it like eight layers down in the organization, <laughs> is maybe not going to be a great fit. Um, and that's okay. Let them not hire someone, or let them have to hire a consultant. Um, but don't fall into the trap of, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to change them, right? Like, don't go into a relationship thinking you're going to change the person into what you want them to be. It's not going to happen. Uh, the same thing goes with with your job. Um, you're probably not. You might have some marginal changes in culture and mindset, but don't go thinking you're going to completely change their mindset and be the hero because you will exhaust yourself and you probably not get to where you want it to be. Yeah. And this is from Leighton. I just realized this is my buddy Leighton here. Leighton Holcomb. I don't know if you know him. He also says some recruiters do recruiter uh, guerrilla interviewing and ATS res resume submissions to see what type of process a client target has that may need assistance. So if you're on the out, if you're an external recruiter, you know, checking to see like what types of um what types of uh of people the client is looking for the, the hiring manager would be looking for um so doing those guerrilla guerrilla interviews help with that as well mm -hmm. um so nick now you're at so now we can get to your your current role so cxo advisor it sounds so cool so before nick and i got on before we went live i was like i want to be a cxo people advisor <laughs> Tell us, what does that mean? What's a CXO advisor? What are you doing? Tell us about this role. It sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's basically, um, I use the the example that uh, a lot of it is is kind of like lethal weapon, you know, Mel Gibson and uh, who is it, Rene Russo are like comparing their bullet wounds. Um, and it, it's a lot like that, right? It's about having scar tissue in the industry and being able to share that back with our clients, um, as well as internal to coal fire. So my role, and, and I have a couple of, uh, of folks that are in, in the same role, is about taking experienced security leaders um, and bringing them to, you know, we have our, our salespeople that we, we help. Uh, we have our delivery teams that we provide some insight to. We do out some products. 
but primarily it's about working with our customers' executive teams on how to better leverage cybersecurity uh, in their organization. So we have a lot of organizations that, to the point of the previous comment, do it because they have to. Uh, that's not the organization I'm usually going to be partnering with. It's more about people that want to figure out how do I help security grow my business? Um, and so getting to think about the cybersecurity strategy um, and the the industry, I think, is, is the primary role. And then, you know, I mean, the analogy before about the dish and the, the tasting menu is a lot about that, right? Um, how do we deliver better value? How do we help translate that into something that's more meaningful for our clients that really differentiates us from how we do work? Um, so for me, it's fun because I get to do a lot of strategic thinking. Uh, I get to uh, take people that are uh, really focused on their day-to-day -day and, and getting their job done and pull them back and see the forest through the trees and maybe reevaluate their approach. Um, I think there, there are a lot of ways to, to skin cats. I don't know if we're allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> um, but you know, maybe taking a step back and saying, hey, there might be another path if you thought about it this way. Uh, for me, is a lot of fun. It unblocks thinking, and it's a. Uh, I think a lot of times you end up with these aha moments, um, and then also helping organizations that are tackling new challenges. I mean, I hate using buzzwords like digital transformation, but it's a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of organizations don't, frankly, understand what it means to do that. They just think, oh, we'll just lift and shift, and it's like, no, it's a whole cultural shift. Right. So. And the, the the CXO advisor, you're advising other companies and you bring back some of this and, and you advise, advise some of the people within your own organization as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we provide that feedback. We adjust our approaches. Um, you know, we're, we're part of a lot of different conversations. And I think it's really, I'm someone who needs to constantly be shifting gears. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really great to be able to, to pivot and to, you know, take different perspectives and explore different problems. Um, at the same time, it's a great opportunity to grow network and to, to expand mindset. So it's, you know, I always like to know where I have, where I have blind spots and try to try to fill those in. Yeah, that's fantastic. So our favorite question, I mean, this comes up like every week, certs versus degrees versus experience. Which one holds best? This is from Sabarish. So I would say um, I, I always lean towards experience, honestly. Um, the... It depends on the type of work you're doing. Um, you know, it like with everything, it depends what a consultant answer. Um, so, you know, I, I think it, if you're if you're trying to get that first job, then maybe a cert matters, um, or maybe that degree matters. Um, but as you move as you move through your career, experience is going to be what's more important, um, honestly, and and how you've shown growth and and uh and progressed right the last thing someone wants to see when they're hiring is someone who's kind of treading water and stagnating it's like that's the last person i want on my team i don't care how many i don't care if you've gone and gotten every single degree under the sun if you haven't shown me that you're growing um then uh, it's just not not gonna be a good fit so big experience and mindset are the biggest ones honestly attitude and aptitude yeah I mean, that that's pretty much what almost every leader that I've worked with over the course of all of these years in any form of technology, you know, in security over the last 10 and then prior to that, all the tech stuff, it's always about it's always about experience. It's can you can I put you in front of the thing? Can you do the thing that you said that you have on your resume or the thing that I need done? Well, or that's going to change. Are you going to be able to learn the new thing? That too. Right. I think that's really important. Like none of our jobs are staying the same. And part of why I love uh, cybersecurity, it's always changing in very dramatic ways. So right. 
And that goes back to kind of like with the recruiting, what Gina made a comment about earlier, you know, with, with forward looking leaders like yourself, you're looking at the people who know how to and learn how to learn. Like, how mm-hmm. do you get into something quickly? Nicholas Shalen talked about it a couple of days ago. My buddy Nambi talked about it like about a week and a half ago. It's learning how to learn. Like, how do you quickly get into the next thing? Because everything is moving so, so quickly. Um, I would. I would add to that, like, so my my degrees in like computer science, but it's from a liberal arts college, right? Mm-hmm. Liberal arts is fundamentally learning how to ask questions mm-hmm. um, and being broad. And depending on your role in cybersecurity, like you may want to be really deep and get an engineering degree and go to engineering school and get your BS and you know all that. If you want to get more on the strategic side, liberal arts is actually a great path. Um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't discount it in the least. Yeah. No, that's a, that's such a good point. Again, I think that you know your mindset and your view of how things work is so important because you do have some leaders that all they're looking for is you know one just one very narrow path. Um, but mo- the folks who who I've spoken with who have been more strategic, who get it, who understand that bringing in different types of thinkers, different types of people that are doing different types of things makes for a more dynamic team, like people who can get together and solve problems quickly. Um, before I get into Bruce's comment, I, I was thinking about your analogy of, you know, laying the tracks really quickly and the security person in the back screaming. And it was it's so vivid and it's so true. And I think that I really, really appreciate you telling that story because to your point, a lot of folks in security feel like, oh, my thing, you know, it's this thing and it's their, it's, it's, it's their project there it's you know they feel um passionate about it it's their thing but it's like how is it enabling the business or how can we do things better so i, I just wanted to re- highlight that because I, I just think that's so important and that visual i'll remember that forever <laughs> you'll probably hear me quoting that Nick visually, like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, i need someone to make a cartoon of it for me so if there yeah, are any, maybe. If there are any graphically inclined people out there that want to make that cartoon <laughs> image for me i would really appreciate it <laughs> security person screaming from the back patch that thing oh man that's great so bruce says so true digital transformation is way more the technology way more than the technology is about change which people tend to fight it's very hard to communicate the change in mindset without a doubt um actually having been a cio it's really interesting because a lot of the things about digital transformation is very much cultural it is very much about changing how you do your work um, but it also can make it so much better, so much more efficient. And from a cybersecurity perspective, can make it so much easier. That thing that you've always wanted, that asset management, you get automatically. Like <laughs> if you don't have your asset management, your automation doesn't work. Your applications don't get deployed. So you get a lot of these really great things by default, that change management side. It goes in GitHub, someone reviews the code, it gets merged, it gets pushed, it gets deployed. Like. Right. This is like the dream from a cybersecurity and audit perspective when you can just hand the auditors access to your GitHub repo and be like, there's our change population and there's all the change control within it. Done. Auditors fall over themselves for that. That's digital transformation. <laughs> not, oh, I'm in the cloud now. I'm just going to go now go click through the GUI and deploy a VM. And it's like, that's not how that works. Um, and, and a lot of organizations don't see that. They just think it's like, oh, I just moved my stuff to the cloud, like virtual data center. It's like, don't do that. <laughs> the CXO advisor is advising. <laughs> Free advice. Please don't do that. Free advice. Danielle Goodwin says engineers make fun of liberal arts. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I took a lot of really good film classes. 
<laughs> oh man, it's so funny. Um, we had on a chief privacy officer, Lydia Payne Johnson, and she her background was, I think she was a music major. And she talked about this. She's at, she was she's a chief privacy officer, she's been in security and all that stuff. And she she actually brought that up you know, that she's a, she was a music major and then she went and got a, a law degree and that all these privacy people came out of marketing, which was new to me. I, I mean, I literally learn something on this show every time I do it, which is another reason I'm a continuous learner, as you can tell. So every time it's, it's all of this fascinates me. Um, but she brought that up too. And she talks about the, I think it was the, it was it the Equifax CISO mm-hmm. that had the music degree and people were asking all these questions. And so, um, it just goes to show like that different way of thinking, the different mindsets, you know. Um, you want to have a variety of thought, right? Like you want to surround yourself with people that think about the problem differently. It's so easy to surround yourself with people that think the same way as you do because it's comfortable. It's easy. And I think we, I know for me personally, I learned by being off balance. Like I learned by acquiring scar tissue. Um, and I think that's really important, you know, to, to not get too comfortable. And part of why I time box things, because if I don't time box things, it's super easy to get into a rut yeah. um, and to just kind of continue doing my job. It's your point about interviewing. Well, why? I'm perfectly fine where I am. It's like, it can never hurt to try. The worst thing that might happen is you might end up with a new job and make more money. <laughs> Honestly, like the worst thing that might happen to you is you might get a new job. But, <laughs> You know, the other outcome is you learn something. Right. You know? It's a half an hour of your exactly. life. And nowadays, it's virtual. You don't even have to go anywhere. You I know. know. Before, you had to pull people out of, okay. I had to get changed in the stairwell. Like, <laughs> Starbucks bathrooms were always exactly. a location to put a suit on. Precisely. I mean, this is a New York man right here. He gets it. So, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's so funny because that's what it was. Now it's virtual. It's like, what do you mean you don't want to have a conversation? Know, with it doesn't make any sense not to have a conversation. Um, so, yeah, Nick, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for your time. If you had to give any advice, if folks want to ask questions, please ask your questions um, because, as always, our guests are super busy. Um, but in the meantime, if you had to give advice to, to these folks, what would you say, what would be your, you know, your one piece of advice that you would give to cybersecurity leaders, cybersecurity, people trying to break into the field and, you know, folks trying to grow into leadership roles. Uh, I think it, it, it might be overplayed or everybody says it, but I'm going to say it anyway, is get a mentor. Um, find jobs where you find mentor, where you have mentors. I think that's a big one in interviewing. When I, if I interview someplace and I really want the, jo- I really want a jo- a new job, um, it's about who's going to be my mentor here. Who am I going to learn from? Um, and when you don't have a mentor, you start getting. That's when you start losing ground. Um, so if you don't have a mentor where you work, reach out to people. I think I said it before. I'm like, I would never not answer that question. Um, and so. It's really about uh, not being afraid of reaching out, not being afraid of finding that person that you you admire or that you want to learn from, or they might have a skill that you want to acquire. Um, just do it. it what, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say no? Great. You're in the same spot you were before you asked them the question. You still don't have a mentor. So it, it, don't be afraid to ask, especially now in digital age, like rejection is uh, is easy because, you know, you just move on to the next one. You're not standing face to face in front of someone. Um, by the same token, give people a little bit of flexibility because 
they might not see your message um, and maybe reaching out to them a second time is okay. Um, so that would be my advice. Uh, seek help, uh, seek partnership and, uh, and continue to learn. I think that's great advice. I mean, people come on here every week and or multiple times a week we do them now and they ask about mentorship. It's one of the big, big areas um, that come that comes up, and they they look, you know, folks are looking for mentors. So, you know, by you saying that to seek it, it's it's definitely something that we hear and we see all the time. Um, and um, in terms of you know going out there and asking questions and doing those things, that's, that's such such great advice for anyone. Couple comments as we leave. Bruce says, "Amazing session, great data." So, thank you, thank you, Nick. And Danielle has five mentors. Woo oh, man. Danielle. Like Pokemon of mentor collecting. <laughs> she has one for every area of life. I, you know what? Nothing I'm wrong like with Danielle. that. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Moms with three children. I have three. I need, I need advice. I need moms yeah. with five kids. I need advice. I need, you know, when it comes to recruiting stuff, I need advice. So I hear you, Danielle. I'm with you. I mean, um, even take it to the next level, right? If you got that many mentors, maybe it's time for a coach, yeah. right? Yep. True indeed. And uh, Imara, who I met finally in person, says, love this live. Great to see cyber New Yorkers. Woohoo. I know. We got to get more cyber New Yorkers on here. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, Nick. This was awesome. You got to come back. Um, I, I just love so many. I think out of out of many of the ones that we've had recently, some of your analogies and the like literally painting that picture. And I'm a picture person. I can envision it. It's, it was fantastic. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. So folks, breaking into cybersecurity, have a good weekend, and we will see you on Monday. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.